0: All right. Good morning. Uh, we're getting ready here for our networking podcast. Uh, we're going to go through here with a goal of each of us looking to expand our networks. Uh, how do we go about doing that? So some real practical tips and techniques on how to do that. Uh, and we we'll little have a challenge for each of us here. So as you think about the next half hour or so we're going to spend together, um, think about three people that you've been targeting to get in touch with and maybe haven't been able to. And if you don't have three specific people by name that you're trying to get in touch with, is there a particular role? So maybe it's a donor, maybe it's a board role, maybe it's a staff position that you're looking to fill and you want to fill your funnel with three names. And so what we're going to do here uh, with Bob McLeod, uh, who has decades of experience in doing this, is hopefully give you some real practical ways to go about doing that. So Bob, would you give us a quick background and uh, your introduction to FCA?
1: Certainly. So um, I'm, live in manchester new hampshire grew up in just outside of boston massachusetts in a bedroom community called burlington massachusetts and um vocationally i've made a living the lion's share of my i I was first in sales early on in my career i grew up in a family-owned business um post-school worked in that business for five years uh four to five years then get into a, a sales role specifically uh selling um you know, just non-technology stuff. But then I get into recruiting about a year after that. And that was in my early 20s. So I've spent 35 plus years uh, in a recruiting role and learning. Um, and I didn't realize I had these skills, but the art of, uh, you know, it's, it's not so much, I think, in life. it's um, There's often two things that you hear. It's not so much uh, what you know but it's more who you know, and that plays not only as it relates to FCA and what we're trying to accomplish here this morning, but um, also uh, to just life in general. So for 35 years, I ran an executive search firm, um, and I built that firm, started it in 1989, and when I get into the recruiting industry, just to give you some context, uh, there was not uh, the internet. Um, the, you know, the way by which you had to recruit and find people Uh, was when we talk old school was very old school. And um, so, you know, just learning how to network and the art of networking and then how to um, I I would call, you know, harvest that, that network. And so how, one, how do you develop the network, which is, you know, really kind of a list of names and I'm going to talk in terminology. Sometimes I'm going to use sales terms that for those that don't have a sales background or an orientation there if you don't understand it, then, you know, certainly we can, um, we can explain it to you, but I look at it as a pipeline, you know, and, and when you're building a pipeline, it's, it's, it's building the top of the funnel. So when you hear a funnel and Jeff has referred to it as that's what would the goal and the objective is. So from that, you know, so from that early days of um, recruiting, uh, when I showed up the first job that I ever had in a recruiting uh, firm, and this is how it worked way back then. Uh, as I, uh, showed up, there was an empty desk. There was a phone on the desk. There was, I was told to bring the Sunday newspaper. And for those of you that are old enough to realize that there were printed newspapers, way back in the day. And, um, there was a one ad section that used to be, you know, maybe a couple inches thick that, uh, everybody that was looking to hire somebody was in that one ad. So I, my, um, my first day on the job, and this is the truth, as I, uh, I had a Yellow Pages in the desk, and, um, and then I had the Sunday newspaper that I brought with me, and my first day of training was go call these companies, get the, the guy that's doing the hiring on the phone, and um, and then make something happen, and that is not any, that's not too far from the dead truth accurate, right? And I didn't have a clue, and uh, it was a 100% commission role. And if you didn't learn how to hunt fast, you weren't going to survive. So, um, uh, that's the, that's the beginning. But, um, so from there I learned that I was, uh, you know, again, illustratively or, um, metaphorically, I was, uh, I had joined mistakenly what I would call the Yugo of the recruiting industry. And, um, which is, um, you know, the low end of the food chain for those that, uh, don't know what a Yugo is. It was a, I think it was a Yugoslavian, right? Wasn't it manufactured a Yugoslavian car? That was. Sold? I, I I just remember Yugo, no go. Yeah, that's right. That's a pretty much it. <laughs> um, and then I realized that just like in every ecosystem, and, and it's as with people, in every ecosystem there is uh, a low end of everything, and there's a high end of everything. And I realized that I had get into the low end of it, um, and so, um, and what drew me to recruiting was I had a buddy of mine that. Um, had left the sales role and get into recruiting, and it can be if you're good at it, it, can be extremely lucrative, and it has been for me. It was a great profession, and it is a great way to make a living. Um, and then for the last say 25 to 30 years, uh, I went from that experience, and then realized where we I had gone. I won't bore you with the details of how I got there and what happened, but um, for the last number of years, I um, had a boutique executive search firm where I helped technology companies build their leadership teams in their boards. So when a private equity firm or a venture capital firm invested in in a company, a technology company, I would go help them find a CFO or CMO or chief revenue officer or um, VP of worldwide sales or um, head of engineering, those types of roles. And I would do that uh, both in Silicon Valley and here in Boston, although I did have some uh, European clients. Uh, and have done search work over there as well, but um, predominantly most of them were in those two or three pockets.
0: So Bob, as I, um, I'd i love for you to explain you're involved with FCA, maybe how it applies, but I want to draw a quick link here. To, so what you were doing was building a network to, um, to acquire leaders, right? As a part of that. And you talked about maybe board members in the context of the, the corporate world, the business world, but we too are looking to build our leadership boards here, right? So this is, much the same type of person potentially, right, that we're looking to bring here as you would be a leader uh, in the business world. And so with that, with that said, you're involved with FCA. And as we dive into sort of the, the, the nuts and bolts and the practical
1: application, how'd you get involved with FCA? So um, I was attending at the time, a Bible study that was meeting in the lounge, ironically, the lounge area of the Newton Marriott, which is a very well-known um, kind of a central, it's right on the major highway there, just outside of Boston in Newton, Newton Massachusetts. And that Bible study was originally started and formed by some of the nucleus and the leadership of uh, a pretty well-known church in the Boston area called Grace Chapel. And um, I had met, again, this is how networking starts. Uh, my son was playing hockey in the North Shore. Um, there was a guy that I would stand next to in the stands. And while all the other parents were either you know, swearing and cussing when something wasn't going right in the rink. We would um, not be. And then there was times where we had early Sunday morning games that both of us found out that we weren't going to the game because we were going to worship service. One thing led to another, and we started talking. And he, was, he had uh, been going to this Bible study. He invited me to it, and um, I started to go there. So that, that, that Bible study eventually was led by a guy by the name of uh, Dave Horst, Dave was uh, very well-known um, in the Christian community in circles in the Boston area. Uh, he was also, I didn't know it at the time, but he had been a trustee at FCA. Hmm. Um, we didn't have much in by way of presence here in, in the Northeast, but Dave, um, so Dave was also on the board of Gordon-Conwell or Gordon college. And then he was a trustee, but he was a, a very successful developer and built houses and, and so that's what he did for a living, and he took a liking to me, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, uh, I, he was a mentor in my role, in my life in, in terms of uh, function. And so Dave, um, that Bible study, my dad had 30 guys show up to it from all different vocations and walks in life, and eventually I got very involved with that. Apparently, uh, there was also another guy by the name of Ernie Tavilla, another very extremely successful guy in the Boston area that attended that, bible study and ernie was the chaplain of the boston red sox and the celtics and uh Mm. um, there were a number of other guys and the guy that invited me to that bible study was a guy by the name of greg tastian and greg um he he knew like guys like dwight evans and uh, rico petrocelli and people of that nature and so um I started going to that. And then one day I got a phone call out of the blue from this guy called Mark Gassman, who I'd never heard of and met before. And he said he was coming up into the Boston area and he had gotten my name from, and I think it was, from, I believe it was from Dave Horst. And, um, and, and so uh, even to this day, not only FCA, but uh, you know, Teen Challenge, these guys were involved with some ministries and, you know, so anyways, Mark came up to the town. He said, Hey, we're going to try to put a staff person up in the area. And, um, I wanted to know. So he came up and started a network with me and I met him for a cup of coffee. And I was probably at the time I might've been in my late twenties hmm. and, um, asked me to, uh, if one, if I knew anybody and then two, if I would be considered uh, donating to FCA and he took out a, uh, a sheet of paper with a, a pyramid of blocks on it and, uh, it was a mimeograph, I remember distinctly, it was a mimeograph piece of paper. So for those of you that don't know what <laughs> a mimeograph piece of paper is, um, it was something that you cranked out on your own <laughs> in some office and smelled awful good, you know, when the office would smell like ink for the day, but... uh yeah, that's, that's how I got involved. And I, at the time I was still trying to build my practice and, and my book of business and I didn't have two nickels to rub together, but I started to become a donor. Mm-hmm. Um, way back then in the day, you know, I might've started off at like $20, $20, 25 a month or something like that. I can't remember, but it was certainly not over 50. I could tell you that for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's my involvement and that's my, um, um, first introduction to FCA, it was a cold call from a staff person that lived in Pennsylvania. Um, Mark eventually moved out to, um, uh, Kansas city. And I believe he's still, um, in Kansas city. I haven't spoken to him for a while, but we came, we became pretty good friends over the course of time. So, you know, Bob,
0: I just thank you for sharing that. Um, I've known you for a while, but some of that, even I didn't know, uh, at this point, but so what I heard was one technique already rolled out there, which was, um, you know, Dave was, was helping build the network, right, and expanding, and then Mark gave you a call, cold call, right, one of the ways to get there. So as, um, as he was looking to build out his uh, support base, right, doing his donor ministry, if we were to switch gears here and sort of maybe segue from that into we've got, you know, a couple of different positions we talked about here that people are going to look to fill. Uh, seats on the bus, volunteers, donors, uh, board members, and staff. So if we wanted to, you know, really get into it here, um what are some techniques
1: that we may be able to talk through here to give people practical experience and how to apply that then to their area so i think in the beginning stages of this you don't want to be sharpshooting right so um so if we think about fishing and the way by which you want to start to build the pipeline here is 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 you want to Um, think of it as a kind of a big trolling, even though you're looking for tuna and everyone who wants tuna. And and again, for those of you that don't fish, tuna is a really one hard fish to catch. Um, And they're incredibly valuable by way of, uh, you know, if you catch one and you sell the the fish itself, you can make yourself a lot of money. Um, but, uh, but what happens here is we can, you know, everybody would love to be able to just say, Hey, for those of us that are really, really gifted fisher, you know, people that fish, um, you have to invest in a lot of equipment and it takes a long time to really get good at catching tuna. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest that in the early days that you think of yourself, instead of being a, a sharpshooter, you go out and you kind of just, uh, uh, troll, you get a big giant net and just throw. Um, and so, and then what you do is as you pull that net in and you see what kind of fish are you getting, you kind of sift and sort through it and say, okay, what, well, how do I utilize this? Right. So is this person, you know, a donor or is this person? So you just, what I would say is just build your list of names. How you start doing that is you think about, um, people that you have a direct connection to and then, um, and it can be in any way a vocation or anything else. It's, it's how do you get there? It's like a game of chess, you, you know, or it's like a game of checkers. You know where you want to go, but there's many options on how you get, to get, get got to get there. So in the early days as a building, you're, you're kind of the top of the funnel. Um, you start to think about, well, who do I know? And it can be family members. And who are the most influential people I know? Who are the most successful people I know? Um, and then if you don't know anybody that's really successful, who do you know that knows them? How do you know, you know, it's all about connections and, and you can start to think about this. It's, you know, we, we hear these cliches, but it's very true. You know, we've heard these things called, you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Mm -hmm. Or is it the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon? Right. But, um, those again are, are, um, those are real, right? So you can say, you can know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And you have to realize that um, that's the way that which you um, can start to build your network. So, all right. So first one is um, who's on your Christmas card list? Hmm. Who did you play baseball with when you were a kid in elementary school? Who did you play high school football with who did you go to high school with? How many people were in your graduating senior class? Um, who was in your homeroom? Um, and you start to think about all these people, right? And, um, and then you, 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 so you might not, but who, where are they today? And what are they doing today? And they all know somebody. So I, I can, whether they are a Christian or non-Christian, it doesn't make a difference. But if you ask another human being, who is the most spiritual person, you know, that goes to church faithfully. And I can tell you right now, growing up, everybody in my neighborhood in Burlington, Massachusetts knew the one family that was the most religious. Hmm. We called them that right now. I was a Catholic kid. I grew up going to Catholic school. I was confirmed in the church, but there was one family that was that would disappear. And they had uh, two or three kids that were pretty good, you know, hockey players. And we used to have a game of street hockey, every Sunday. And if we didn't play street hockey, we were playing football and baseball season. And we were always looking for these two kids and from like eight o'clock to noontime, they were nowhere to be found on a Sunday. And we all figured it out later that they were all going to church. And, um, uh, that, that family, by, by, by the way, that that family today, uh, are all solid Christians. And, um, uh, I have actually gone back, and I've used this same illustration. That same, his name is Bob Wiffen. He's an elder at a church, and uh, I, um, I have gone back and presented FCA to that church and that congregation. and made. I even went back to him and said, what's your involvement in the church? He told me, and I said, can you get me in front of the men's group? And he did. Yeah. And then, can you introduce me to the pastor? And he did. So there's an example of how you just, you know, you, you, you can go back to when I, I grew up playing, and that was a kid that I knew, you know, from the time I was probably uh, seven or eight years old.
0: So, so this is, I mean, it's a great um, illustration, right, of how to do this. You were talking about even for a second, I'm thinking about homeroom. Oh, my goodness, I haven't thought about homeroom in, uh, in, in probably decades, but I can, I can picture who's in the, who are in those seats, right, along with me. Um, and what are they doing today? I love that example. So what you just described here, you talked about trolling and casting the net wide. Um, each person here is going to have a specific role, Bob, maybe that they're looking to fill. So why are you suggesting the, the wider casting right now versus, man, I just know I, I need to hire a director for this area.
1: Because you're looking to build just a network right now, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that this person is just starting off in FCA or um, they're starting off building the pipeline and you, and what you're looking for is the, the one vein, right? You know, I'll, I'll give you an example of um, um, there's certain, and anybody that's recruited anybody for a living, whether it's as, you know, a college recruiter, um, you go to programs that are, you know, um, really strong Right, high school programs that have great football programs, and they stay, and they and they recruit out of those all the time, and 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 so um, it's the same thing that uh, for those illustratively that have fished freshwater fishing. I'm not a fish, but I use you know metaphors like this. It's that there's, there's ponds or bodies of water that people know you can catch big trout, yeah. big trout or big bass or um, whatever it is that you're looking for, and they know where to find them and how to find them. And in this case here, what you're looking for is you're looking for um, to identify the veins or the, the bodies of water that you're going to fish out of. And um, in learning how to identify that is in how to determine, um, you know, which ones to fish out of and which ones are going to produce for you. Uh, that's the, you go wide. Yeah. And then as you get better at it, you kind of narrow it in and you get, you know, you, you kind of, um, focus in on the you know the the specific thing that you're looking for. So, um, so so for example, uh, when I was looking for uh, the F, the New Hampshire State Director, I would go to people in my network, and I wouldn't ask them. Um, h- you could go and say, "Who do you know that might be interested in a you know uh, full time vocational um, role?" Right. And working for an, a parachurch ministry and everybody would say uh, no one. Mm-hmm. And what I'd say is I'd say to them is. Um, so in your church, when you were in church on Sunday, um, how many people do you think, you know, in that church? And they'll tell me. And so how many of them do you know that either uh, they played sports when they were growing up as a kid or they have kids currently in sports? And they'd say that it's a totally different question. And who are those families? And if you just, again, if you ask, who do you know that, you know, is interested in joining FCA or getting involved in FCA or would be a donor to FCA, you're going to get bupkis. You know, you get the zilcho. But if you start to ask, you know, how many people go to your church? Have you ever been in a Bible study before? How many people were in that Bible study? How many of those people did they have kids that played sports? Did you have any coaches in, in, in that Bible study? <clears throat> um, who was your high school football coach? Who was your high school hockey coach? Who, you know, who were your line mates? We're, we're, you know, I mean, that's how you start building this thing. You start making a list and then you start to say, okay, well, I'm going to reach back out to them because every single person lives in a neighborhood, right? And um, you, you can even look in a neighborhood and say, okay, how many of these people in this neighborhood have kids that are involved in sports, You don't know anything about their spiritual life, but how many of them are involved in sports? That's where you, that's a wide net. And then you start sifting and sorting. You can get to anything if you do it properly. I mean, there's not a, you know, I, I I had a, um, and this is how my mind works, but you have to train your mind to think a certain way. So my daughter lived in New York city at a time. Sean has heard this story and I was coming in for a weekend visit. And, um, at the time, The Lion King uh, was uh, just had launched. It was the hottest ticket on Broadway. You couldn't get it. couldn't get a ticket to save your life. I didn't realize any of this, by the way. Um, apparently, there was a year long waiting list mm-hmm. and um, I came into town. It was probably three weeks away and um, I um, I asked her, I said, so what do you want to do? And she said, well, I don't know. We, we could do dinner. We could do this. We could... I said, well, do you want to, have you been to a show recently? She said, uh, no. I said, would you like to go to a show? She said, um, yeah, we can do that. So what's the hottest, what's the number one show right now in New York city? She said, and she knows, knows what I'm like. She said, dad, you can't get in. <laughs> and um, I said, what do you mean? And she tells me this, you know, hey, look, I've got people in my office here that have been waiting on a list now for six to 12 months. And they're waiting for tickets. And I said, well, what's the, t- what's the, what's the show? And she said, the lion King. I said, what's it about? I mean, this is how naive I was was like, like, what's it about? Tell me what the lion King is. So she tells me this. I said, well, have you seen it yet? No. Um, would you like to see it? She said, dad, don't bother with it. It's, I'm telling you. So I said, well, look, if you, if I got tickets, would you be interested in going? Sure. So, all right. So I, my mind just starts thinking, okay, I'm in Boston. This thing's in New York city. How am I doing this? So I remember I started thinking about this. Who do I know and i 'm telling you this is exactly how my mind worked. My youngest daughter, this is the oldest one that's in New York City now. My youngest daughter um, went to a, a school on Long Island for one year and she and, and, and um, she met a kid that the, and this kid was uh, his name was first name was Sam, and um, they became friends. But Sam's grandfather was the guy that owned, um, what's the famous um, uh, English muffins? Thomas. Thomas. That's the family, right? So they owned, so that was the guy that owned Thomas's English muffins. Well, I also found, so this school that they went to, by the way, so it it goes back to networking. Dave Horst, now I'm going to go back now. Dave Horst sent his kids to the same private boarding school. Um, this was, um, it's, it's called Stony Brook on Long Island, and Jason actually has been trying to get a Bible study there, so Jason out on Long Island has been trying to get a Bible study out there. Anyways, uh, Billy Graham's kid went to school there, and he got bounced out of there. Franklin Graham got thrown out of the school, okay? So my daughter went there for one year, and she met this kid, Sam, and one summer, we had a place down in Cape Cod, and this family, Sam, and his family were on Cape Cod, and my daughter said, Hey, Sam's coming up. And I went and met the mother and father. And we went up to, uh, um, this, this fancy swanky, nice, uh, on Cape Cod. And we met this family and I remember meeting his mom and dad and they went to a Presbyterian church in, in New York city. I remember finding this out, right. That they attended a Presbyterian church. And I remember meeting the dad and the dad was a playwright. And I remember this distinctly. He was a playwright, um, in New York city. Um, in the theater district so this is now years later and I call my younger daughter back and I said hey do you still stay in touch with that kid Sam and she said yeah I do I said well give me his phone number and so I I I got his phone number and I called him and I said hey is your dad still I called him up and he remembered of course he had been up to visit us I said "Uh, is your dad still the playwright and he said yep and I said "Uh, what's his phone number he gives me his phone number and I call him and I kind of reconnect the dots and he goes, Oh yeah, how you doing? And so I tell him this story and, and I said, Hey, look, I'm trying to get tickets to this. I said, do you have anybody that's, a, you know, got a connection to, uh, he said, I think so. And, um, I know we're running out of time here. It's actually worth hearing if you want to hear the story, but I ended up getting tickets from this a guy that he knew who knew somebody who actually worked in the production um, part, I sat in and I'm telling you when I, when I got the, the, the voucher and it was faxed to my office, it, the, the, the details in the last three to five days were hilarious and I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was going to pay because I'm thinking I'm going to pay big money for these things. Right. I sat in Elton John's Elton John wrote the score to the lion King. <laughs> I sat in Elton John's seats. He has two seats for every show I sat in those seats with my daughter, and she couldn't believe won the seats, but she couldn't believe that I pulled this off in like two to three weeks. And it was all because of how I thought about um, who do I know that knows somebody. Then I asked this guy, do you know somebody who knew somebody who got these seats? And I ended up getting a fax for in my office. I can remember it distinctly where I said, you're going to go to the Will Call window, and, you, and this, he gives me this voucher, and I'm looking at this thing that comes across. It's called Rocket Man Productions. Rocket Man. You know, I'm thinking Roger Clemens, right? You know, and, and I had no idea that Elton John wrote the score. That's how, you know, I mean, I was so naive. I sat in Elton John's seats. So that's, so, an, that's, a, that's a, just in terms of how you get to some place where you really want to or need to is how you start to think about, you know, connecting the dots.
0: So had you simply thought about who can I get tickets from, right? So but we're thinking I need to hire a state director. I need to hire you know, a director in my area. Um, you would hit a dead end quickly. Correct. So, so what I heard was training your mind to think differently about these connections. Uh, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? It's, it's end in mind but how many steps is it going to take you to get there? Right. And so there's a creative aspect uh, to that component as well. And just thinking about connecting those dots and you started with industry, right. Um, And so some of your examples, Bob, were also, you know, sort of combing the the church pews, right. You know, who might, you know, there, and sort of it's the, the, the industry in this instance, you know, the church industry, right. Who might, you know, in that, and then, the other part that I heard there and uh, knowing you well is is being bold, right? And picking up the phone and making the call and asking for the introduction, right? I think about you. you, you hey, can I get his phone number talking to your daughter, right? And I, I suspect you didn't really mince words. I want to call him. And you called him and just said, you know, can I get your dad's phone number, right? And so it's asking for that. And again, when, when you spoke with this this, this um, young man as well, I would imagine you didn't say, ask him, uh, hey, can I get tickets to the Lion King, right? You wanted, to, you knew that already. You wanted to get to that vein, right, to that source. That's right. Uh, and that was his dad. So I even for me, thinking creatively about this makes more sense. So end in mind, good, but it's going to take you a little ways to get there, so cast the net wide. Um, and so as we wrap up here, uh, I'm thinking about, again, the challenge for those that are either participating live here or those Um, that are that are listening to this after the fact is you know who are those three people right Uh, that you're looking to get in touch with and make sure you're casting your net wide enough uh, so that so they're in there somehow right they're connected into that because if you cast it too narrowly you may miss that connection that will get you there Um, and if you're looking to if you're looking for Lion King tickets right if you're looking to fill a staff position and it's not a particular person you have in mind. Um, again, make sure that you're building that network out, which is just critical. And again, I just think about being bold, um, as a part of that as well. Um, and moving forward. So Bob, any, any last
1: uh, minute nuggets here as we wrap up? Well, I think it's a belief you, you, you know, it's a, it's a the belief that you can be, so you have to believe you can. Yeah, Cause if you believe you can't, you won't. Hmm. Um, and if you don't believe you can, you, you should be believing that God can. And then it's the bold and confidence and then having the, the courage to do things that most won't. I'll leave you with one last uh, story that I was just the thought about. You know, you've talked about being bold. I was out on a business trip to California. I had gone to dinner and um, there's some other guys joined us. And there was a playoff game out in San Jose and the guys at dinner started talking about going to the playoff game. And so we're sitting at this table. And so they, I said, well, do you want to go? And they all looked at us. Yeah. But I said, and there were four or five guys and I said, we can't get tickets. I said, I can guarantee I can get tickets. <laughs> and they said, no way. Uh, we drive to this stadium, not a ticket. No, these are all business guys. They have no idea that, you know, like they've never done anything like this before. And I said, do you realize that you can find um, tickets on the street? You know, it's, it's called scalping, right? And, um, and I didn't want to get, you know, in trouble. And I didn't want to get these guys, these guys are clients. And they've like never seen anything like this before. So you can, so it's a matter of how do you approach these problems, right? Which is, it's really more the boldness, right? And I said, look, I don't want to get arrested. And I don't want to get somebody else arrested. So what would you do in that situation? How do you think, uh, by the way, I did get everybody in and we went to the game. But how do you think I did it?
0: I can't wait to hear.
1: So I said, I get in there. I said, we, and by the way, we wanted to see the beginning of the beginning of the game and you don't want to go in and not get the first period in. So you want to get in there and get fast, right? So here's what I did. I went looking for the biggest and tallest and baddest looking cop I could find. And I went right up to him and I said, hey, look, I'm in town. I've just had dinner with these guys. They're business clients of mine. We want to try and get into the game. I know there's tickets out here on the street. You know there are tickets out here on the street, and there are people selling them illegally, aren't there? And he said, yep. I said, now, you know scalpers. You also know, do you have undercover agents out here? And he said, yep. I said, okay, so if I want to get these guys into this game, if these four guys were your high school buddies, Ouch. okay, How would you do this? And he said, well, I'd go down here to that corner down there. And he tells me, he said, there's a guy down there. And he gives me exactly how he's dressed. He said, avoid him. (laughs) That's an undercover guy. And I said, no, we're the guys that I can trust. He said, there's a guy here in this corner. This guy actually knew who was and who was not selling tickets and who to and who not to go to. (laughs) He puts me in touch with one guy. I walked down to this guy. And I said, you got tickets? And he said, yep. And I said, I need four. And he goes, okay stay here. I had this thing done in about three to five minutes. We walked in, I got tickets. I walked by the cop and I said to him, thank you. (laughs) Walked right in. Right. So my point is most people would not be bold enough to do that. Yeah. Right. And so you have to have, um, and now I didn't have that confidence early on. I was petrified and nervous and scared and unsure. And, but over the course of time I could tell you, Countless of those examples of time and time again where if you don 't believe you can, yeah and you will you won 't
0: well this this reminds me of something that was with my son and a couple of their dads last night uh, at our church, and we were talking through it. Um, you talked about belief right, so believing you can do it, and uh, we learned last night and i 'm hopeful that my son could uh, also share this, but um, belief mm-hmm. plus action. Is commitment right so the question is you can believe you can do it but it requires action uh, as a part of that as well so that's the commitment to making those connections the commitment to getting the tickets the, the commitment to doing it and so it's it's believing but then taking that next step and being bold so Bob thanks a bunch we are wrapping up on time here thanks to those that have joined us and uh, hopefully this is beneficial to everybody Bob would you close us in prayer real quick
1: be happy to Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, uh, your forgiveness. We thank you for the gift of uh, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and eternal life as a result of um, what Christ did on the cross for us. Thanks for these men and women on this call that may be with us live, as well as those that will listen to the podcast. I pray your anointing upon them. Father, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would uh, give them the uh, boldness and the courage to um, take action, as Jeff said. And I pray, God, that uh, as they do, that you would, be, um, you would just uh, watch every conversation and every ask and every connection and may that it produce for them. May it um, lead them to where you need and the people that you need. And we've seen it time and time again, not only in our lives, but also throughout history and in the Bible, how you used other people, in some cases non-believers, um, on how to accomplish your mission. And each and every one of these people want to serve you and um, just want to be part of your mission. And I pray, God, that you would honor that. And um, I thank you for this day. I pray, God, that we uh, would be mindful on how we can share with one person today your love. So as we start our day and um, may we just uh, have a, a bounce in our step, a smile on our face and a twinkle in our eye because of what we know to be inside of us. And that is Jesus Christ. And it's in his name. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Bob,
0: thank you again. This is awesome.
1: You're such a blessing to our ministry here and
0: uh, hopefully those will take away some great points for what we've done here.
1: My pleasure. Thanks Jeff. All right. God bless.